and welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This is episode 478, and I'm going to fly solo today. Here I sit just a couple days after the new year, and uh, I, I just have a ton of reflection. It's, it's really interesting. I wanna, I'm going to cover a couple things today. I want to talk a little bit about unplugging um, based on recent experience that I had going to the Dominican Republic uh, with my family. It was my first time there. And I unplugged, we unplugged for half of the trip. It was like four days with, with no Wi-Fi and, and no internet at all. And I want to talk a little bit about that experience and the impact that it had on me. And I think something that I want to kind of make a habit of in this coming year. I also want to revisit my 2019 goals. I know often around this time of year, Mike and I revisit our prior year goals and we look ahead at the next years. And I'm not going to do something nearly so formal, but I did want to talk through quickly you know, some of the goals that I had set for for 2019. And then I have some other reflections on 2019, some lessons that I learned that I think are are pretty broadly applicable to founders and people doing hard things, you know, ambitious folks trying to build something that is difficult. And, you know, if nothing else, I hope that that you kind of leave this episode with a sense that that we're that we're all going through the same thing. I think we all experience these same thoughts and and experiences are very similar ones as we do this. And it's these feelings of, wow, I'm not moving as fast as I want, or I'm not very good at this, or this is scary and I don't <laughs> I don't I don't really want to do this anymore. You know, you know, how am I gonna fix this? That type of thing. There's just a bunch of as I reflected back on on stuff that's happened over the past 12 months, it has been an absolute whirlwind. And so I wanna kinda talk through some of that today. So to start, over Christmas and New Year's, I spent eight days in the Dominican Republic with my family. As I said, I had never been, my kids had never been, but but Sherry had, I think, either spoken at an event or been at a retreat there earlier last year. And so she booked eight days for us. And the latter half of that was completely off the grid. And it was it was scary at first. I will admit, it's weird. I'm not on Twitter and Facebook all the time and I'm not in Slack all the time and I don't need I don't need that constant dopamine rush of an app giving me feedback it's just not how I'm built and I, I've tried to avoid now I shouldn't say it's not how I'm built because I have been there at times but I've tr- I've been very deliberate about not allowing myself to fall into that trap and yet I found myself frequently thinking of something and wanting to just know the answer right then and to wanting to google it and and realizing, oh, I want to listen to that book and going to Audible and not being able to download it. And it was this this slow grind on me, this realization of how reliant I am on external inputs. And I've always, you know, I've always consumed a lot of media, typically reading books, listening to books, listening to podcasts. And I do that because it gives me new ideas and fresh perspectives that then allow me to view my own day-to-day job in a different way. But it also then allows me to come on this show and not say the same things over and over, you know, to have an evolving perspective. But what I also realized is I think, if anything, I consume a bit too much. You know, even though I feel like I have a pretty good balance of consumption and production and producing things, podcasts and conferences and, you know, Accelerator or whatever... I realized during this this four-day fast, this four-day internet fast, that my mind wandered in glorious ways. I got so deep into topics that I just wouldn't have stumbled upon had I not had this time. 
And this wasn't a retreat, right? I like to take a retreat once a year, maybe twice a year if I'm if I really need it. Typically, it's a once a year cadence where I ask questions and I sit down and I write stuff. And this wasn't that. I was with the family. I was not asking specific questions. I was really casually moving from one topic to the next. And it led to some real groundbreaking insights to some problems or just issues. You know, the microconf expansion over the next 12 to 18 months is, has a lot of logistics and a lot of things that we're thinking about. How can we do this well? How can we make it better? And I just had a lot of thoughts on it that didn't have the space to come out in my day-to-day and creative ideas sprang seemingly from nowhere, but they weren't from nowhere, you know? It's it's all the thinking and the note-taking and and just the, the 10,000 hours of kind of going through this process, I think, that was, it was a, a real reminder for me to do this more often. And while I, as I said, I only want to do a retreat every year or so, I actually think I want to do this kind of off-the-grid thing quarterly. I I feel like I could do it once a month, in all honesty. It was that calming and soothing to just go away and turn off the internet and think about things. And, and you can tell it was kind of rock my world. And so that's something I want to try to do in 2020 is do this kind of off the grid and Bill, Bill Gates used to call them think weeks. And I think he only did them once a year, but I wouldn't necessarily go out with the intent of reading a bunch of books and, and synthesizing information. It really is what are the kind of the broader there. It's like broader issues at hand that I want to think about, but it's also just let your mind wander almost in a meditative state and let the issues show themselves and let the thoughts show themselves and let these kind of creative insights come. So that was a big realization for me. If you already do that, I'm I'm impressed. And if you have never done this, you know, obviously it's easier said than done given how busy all of our schedules are, but it was it was pretty pretty eye-opening to me that it is something that I believe it's a practice that I am lacking in and I want to do better. So that was unplugging. Second topic I want to cover are goals, goals that I had set for 2019. And really I had four goals that I'd set about. The first was to exercise two or three times a week. And I mostly achieved that. I was way ahead of it for a while. Once winter came, travel got in the way. I have absolutely fallen off the wagon. But I feel like that's mostly a kind of a thumbs up-ish for me. And it's something I need to keep doing. I mean, especially, you know, as I get older, my birthday was just five days ago. So I'm another year older and I need to keep thinking about, I, I hate exercise. I just don't like it. I never liked it. I've always, I was always an athlete in high school and college. So I didn't need to exercise because that's just what I did, right? It was built into this routine of you go and you practice for two hours and you're in this amazing shape. But that's where I'm at. And so I have to set this goal for myself. Otherwise, I don't, I don't do it. And so that was number one. Second one was to continue pushing Tiny Seed forward. It was to get the, the first batch chosen. It was to get the first batch to like have a, a noticeable impact on, you know, on their growth. And not just me, obviously, but the, the program itself, the mentors, and to make Tiny Seed essentially kind of the preeminent accelerator for, for bootstrappers and for folks who, who don't want to shoot the moon and, and who want to build, you know, these, am, these ambitious yet sane software startups. And, and I feel like that is, is on or ahead of schedule with everything that, that I had envisioned and had spoke, you know, spoken with my co-founder Einar about. Uh, so that, that feels like a win to me. And, and at this point, things are continuing to roll and frankly accelerating, both with Tiny Seed and the, and the fact that the applications for Batch 2, we had a lot more folks with revenue. We had a lot more folks with traction in the, the second application process. And with MicroConf expansion, with the way the podcast has continued, you know, even though Mike has taken a step back, like a lot of things are, are hitting on all cylinders. Now, it hasn't been easy 
and, and I'll get into that a little later actually in this episode, but in taking stock on what happened in 2019, I'm kind of, I'm pinching myself a little bit. You know, it's interesting. I got an email last night actually, and it was from Squarespace and it said, hey, your, your website, tinyc.com is about to renew on the annual plan. And I emailed Einar and I said, it was only a year ago that we started our first application process and that we had a website. You know, before that we did, I had a landing page or something for a couple months prior, but that's it. And it feels like it's been two or three years based on how fast things have moved and how much we were, how ambitious we've been with it, but how things have come together. And not everything's come together, that's that's for sure, but there was so much work to be done, you know, when this Squarespace site went live and we started taking applications. And it's, it's that sense of like, we didn't have a bunch of systems in place. We didn't have a bunch of employees. We didn't have a bunch of funding. It was two of us, right? And we were raising enough money to try to do the first batch. Now, we didn't have an amazing application process. It was a Google form that fed into a Google sheet that when people asked, hey, I'd love to get a confirmation email, I sat and thought, am I going to have to write some code to make it do this? Am I going to have to go back and hack PHP or learn Ruby to make it do this? And of course, you know, I remembered Zapier can monitor a Google Doc and say, that was it. It was, it was just gum and, and bailing wire and you're just trying to keep it together. But the outward appearance was not that, you know? And the fact that I was sifting through 880 something rows in a, in a Google sheet trying to sort things and, and interview people and doing 70 something calls, you know, it's, it's the image of that duck that's on the water and from above it looks calm, but underneath you're just paddling like crazy. You know, this, this is as much a startup as, as anything I've ever done in terms of, of the uncertainty and, and just the kind of scrappiness that you have to do. And in that startup life, you know, I, I used to work with, with a guy who's, who would say in startup world, a week is a month, a month is a quarter, a quarter is like a year because you're moving so fast. That's, that's been a big reflection of me. And I mean, I think something I'm pleased about with 2019 is like, I don't work a ton of hours. I don't, I don't work 50 hour weeks. You know, I work normal work weeks and I take time off to reflect. And I feel like that, I mean, my advice to you, if you're, if you're not already thinking this way is that's how you play long ball. And that's how you do this for 15 or 20 years. Cause being an entrepreneur, it's very, very hard. As we know, it's extremely stressful. And if, if you work these 50, 60 hour weeks, you can do it for a short period of time, but over time it degrades your ability to produce. Anyways, that's that's the reflection on on kind of tiny seed. I'm going to talk a little more about microconf in the podcast in a couple minutes. But my third goal was to not freak out when the stock market crashed in 2019, and that just didn't happen. I mean, that was more of a prediction than anything, right? So I'm not sure that was actually a goal. And the last goal that I completely failed on was to write or rewrite a book, and that one has been on my list for years, and it's always been a a plan B that if I have time, I really want to rewrite, start small, stay small. I still get a lot of emails about it. And and it's still, it's like 90% applicable, but it's dated with some of the links don't work. And there's just certain tactics that don't work. And so, and at this point, I'm at the point where I'm kind of throwing my hands up like, is this something I think I can pull off, you know, in the next year? And And I just don't know. I need to give more thoughts to doing that. But the interesting thing for me is my day-to-day work, you know, not my personal life, but but work life has really come down to three things. And it's microconf, it's this podcast, and it's Tiny Seed. And I've already talked a bit about Tiny Seed and what we did, you know, last year. But a question I get actually often is how can you how do you get so much done or how do you run all three of these things? They seem very time consuming. And it's often hard, like I'll answer with like, well, I have a Trello board and I have a process and all this and all that. And that's part of it, right? Being efficient and 
and being fast with email and delegating and all this stuff. But I think the biggest thing that has saved me hundreds of hours, if not thousands, is this division of responsibilities to extremely capable people. It didn't happen by accident, but it's something that I've learned over the years. And some people get here really quickly, right? Some people immediately think I need senior project thinkers who can get things done. I started with very limited budgets because I was a bootstrapper with basically, you know, no budget and a salary for my day job. So I went the four-hour work week route in 2007 and started hiring VAs, which are very task-based people. You need heavy process. And that worked for that stage. So I hung on to that stage too long, that stage of task-based people. And that was really through or right before Drip. And it wasn't until Drip where I realized, wow, hiring project people where they can handle an entire project, even if they need some training, they're more expensive than task-based, but there's such a step up in terms of how much you can delegate and how much you can, you can give and expect great results. And then I think the next step up is like a product person, right? It's someone who, who isn't just working on a project and managing that and timelines and dates because you can find a lot of project managers, but how many product people can you find? And, and by product, I don't mean software, right? I mean like, like the podcast, if you think about it, is a product, right? And a producer could, could produce it in a way that's really at a high level. And, and that's you know better than someone where you're just like, okay, these are the dates and these are the timelines of the podcast. This is who needs to be on. But as actually thinking about how do I make this better? How do I think ahead and add things to this? And the same thing with your software product you know, that you're managing. Obviously, it's, it's a product. The same thing with MicroConf. That's a product if you think about it. It's a bunch of different smaller events. Now it's, an, you know, it's online stuff. It's the State of Indie SaaS report and, and the video, you know, the live video stream that's going to come along with it and the, and the Slack channel and all that. It's all really product-based thinking. And while I could sit down with someone and outline, hey, week to week, month to month, this is what needs to happen, and someone could logistically do it, how do you find someone who's one layer above that, you know, and is a product thinker? Same thing with Tiny Seed Ride as an accelerator. And so it's a bit of a luxury, but it's a realization I've had that there is no chance that MicroConf, Tiny Seed, and the podcast could all exist at the level that it does without many product-based thinkers. And that started off as Einar and myself, and then Tracy joined the team to be thinking about Tiny Seed. And it's not just how do we, how do we run Tiny Seed, but it's like how how do we make it better constantly? And new suggestions of how do we improve this process. So I talked about our application process for batch one, and now it was bailing wire and duct tape. And when the second one came around. Tracy evaluated all these tools and just went off and, and made recommendations to us, but basically kind of made a decision to make this thing better and more manageable. And it is, and it's better. And we look at it as like V2.0 of our whole process. And as we expand, because we're going to fund more companies with the second batch than we did in the first, and obviously batch three and four and five will we'll expand from there, th- these things have to get better. But I think the, the scrappiness of that initial one of just getting it done I think it's what a lot of us founders are really good at. And then it's fine. How can you find a person if you're not good? So I, I'm not great at then putting that into writing and communicating a process and improving upon that process constantly iterating. That's not my strong suit, but that's okay because you can find people, you can hire people, you can work with people who can help you with that. And that's where you're really going to level up is where you figure out your strengths and you double down on those. And then how do you backfill against your weaknesses? Speaking of the podcast, I have to admit, I haven't talked about this on the show, but you know, with episode 448, when Mike and I 
had a really intense conversation about him stepping back and him focusing on blue tick and whether or not he should. And, and that, that whole thing, again, if you haven't listened to that, it's one of the best episodes of this entire almost 500 episode run, in my opinion. I was kind of scared after that. Because how do you take something that has been running for close to 10 years with two people, has a very defined format, we have not iterated very much on the format, and how do you reinvent it in a way that hopefully, A, isn't worse, B, isn't just as good, but is actually better? How do you do that? And that's the task I was faced with back in that May-June time frame. So, you know, it's it close to seven months now. And I've, I've done some experiments, right? I've tried different show formats, Q&A with different people, um, obviously been doing interviews, but trying to do interviews in a different way than everyone else does. Hot seats. There are some solo episodes like this. But that was a lot, there was a lot of uncertainty there for me. And I, so I certainly felt more trepidation and, and angst about keeping it going and how I would do that. I was also highly motivated. You know, there's this interesting thing like growing up, it was not an option for, for me and my siblings to quit things. Like I remember, I don't want to sound like the old guy who walked, you know, uphill both ways in the snow, which I did not do. I rode a bus to school. But in school, I was a, a one of the scholar, you know, scholar athlete, right, where I got straight A's and, and also played two sports. And it was just a given that I got on the bus at 7.30 and my parents picked me up after football practice at 7 or 7.30. It was just 12-hour days, and I never once thought, wow, this is hard. I shouldn't do this. It was just, this is what we do as scholar-athletes or as entrepreneurs. We do hard things, and I think it's almost easier when you don't question them. And there's, of course, a certain point you can drive yourself to, to depression. I mean, there's health issues. There, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff, but I never once thought, you know, when Mike was going to take, take a step back, I never once thought, well... I guess we should shut the show down. I guess we should end the podcast because it's just not an option to quit. Obviously, again, there are exceptions. It's an option to quit if your startup isn't working, you're going bankrupt, and there, there are things, there are ways. But in these scenarios where it's just, it's not, oh, everything's going, everything's falling off a cliff, but it's like, this is hard, you know, or this is a mental challenge or a physical challenge for that, for that matter, which is what it was growing up, you know, in, in high school and, and college. And it was hard uh, workouts and it was staying up then to try to finish homework and it was being tired a lot and, and that kind of stuff. Again, it just wasn't an option not to do it. And I think that's a skill, that skill of hard work and that skill of, you know, the ability to just not question things, I think has served me well. And so the feedback I've gotten on the new podcast format has been overwhelmingly positive. I've loved the constructive uh, feedback I've received and I'm making tweaks to the show format and, you know, the week to week stuff. I plan on once again continuing to double down on the show in 2020. Um, I love that I have the the freedom to experiment with things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. I love that I have kind of the time to do it. I know I have a limited time given everything else, but it is so in line with with microconf and you know even with tiny seed the ability to do tiny seed tales. I wa I've wanted to do tiny seed tales for 5 years. That that high level of NPR production didn't have the time, didn't have the budget. And this moment is essentially an, was an excuse for me for me to do that. And we are starting to look at at a season two of Tiny Sea Tales. So plan to keep keep doing that based on the feedback I received. One more reflection on on twenty nineteen. I wanted to share with you before before I wrap. So once again, that reinforcement that that running something on autopilot or doing something for the second, third, fourth, fifth time is is not that hard. 
But launching new things is extremely time consuming and way more than you think it's going to be. And this is the reason why I always advise people who say, hey, I'm going to like try to launch or grow two products at the same time, even two info products. It's like, don't do that. Grow one, get it to a plateau, autopilot it as much as you can, and then focus on the other. Because launching two things is, is extremely, it's just, it's time consuming. It's mentally taxing. Like with MicroConf, we've done 19 of them. Our 20th and 21st are here in, in a couple months. And we're, we're pretty good at them at this point. You know, I mean, obviously we can always improve, but it's not a decision point of, of everything of what should the format be and what should the meals be and what should the schedule be. Really, it's, it's a known quantity. And even if we revamp it and tweak it each year, it's a known quantity. And it, it isn't as time consuming as something that you think is going to be pretty quick. Like the example that I'm experiencing that I just spent five hours yesterday working on is the state of independent SaaS survey and report. And I literally thought that I could hire a designer, hire a statistician, and then, you know, draft a survey and kind of hand most of it off to be done. And that has not been the case. We are literally hundreds, hundreds of person hours into this, including, you know, the designer statistician and and my time. And it has been so much more of my time than I estimated or anticipated, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Like the results, I'm starting to see we have versions of the report now that we're tweaking and absolutely worth every minute and every dollar that we're spending on it. But it is that reminder to me that everything is new and everything is a decision and everything has to be thought through from square one about how we word things and the look and the feel and how we analyze and what assumptions we make. And, you know, it's just everything is new. And that's the same thing when you're building a product and you don't know what what feature to build next and what customer to listen to. And everything is new. You don't know if your pricing's off. You don't know if your messaging's off. You don't know if your positioning's off. You don't know if your brand is off or if all those things are on and only one is off. It's just it's so hard. There's so many variables, so many decisions to make. And this is why launching new things is time consuming and it's mentally taxing and why it really takes a kind of a founder mentality to do it. You can't hand off a task that requires a founder to you know, a project person, or oftentimes even a really good product person has a tough time doing something from scratch. There's this very unique skill set that takes something from zero to one, in essence, to, from zero to existence. And it's really hard. And it's, I do believe it's something that we get better at uh, the more you do. But I also think that it's one of the hardest things that I've done over and over. You know, there's this kind of old marketing adage, you should launch a new products to an existing audience or existing products to a new audience, but never do both at once. And frankly, you know, a new, that means a new product to a new audience. Frankly, at some point in your career, you have to, right? Because nobody starts out with either an audience or, or products. And that is the hardest part. And so as you're grinding it out and as you're struggling through these decisions and the uncertainty of what you're doing and, and rethinking your pricing and thinking, wow, everyone else has this figured out. Why don't I know what to do? Why don't I know the right answer? The answer is no one else really does either. In closing, I'm not sure there's been a year in recent memory that I've looked forward to more than 2020. And for me personally, it's it's a lot of fronts. I'm enjoying the podcast, loving doubling down on that. I'm loving the way that that Tiny Seed is expanding. And I am super stoked, honestly, about MicroConf and the expansion. It's just everything that I've been working on for 15 years has come together in a way that I don't think I could have imagined. And it makes the hard days and the setbacks 
so much easier to fight through when you have the wins along the way. And when you have good people, talented people that you really enjoy working with and that essentially you're constantly collaborating with to make whatever it is that you're working on better. So with that, I'll wrap up this episode. I wish you a prosperous and a successful and a happy 2020. Thank you so much for being a listener of Startups for the Rest of Us for all these years. A couple months, we're going to be at our 500th episode, 10 years, and it comes even before that point. And yeah, it's just a pleasure to be able to, to get on the mic and, and talk to you every week. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your support, your feedback, and your comments. And I'll see you next time.